0: Welcome to the Ionhoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico.
1: It's episode 18 of the Ionhoops.com podcast. Interesting times to be an Iona fan for sure. As we've already seen more swings than at a playground. We go from last week's Morgan's 8 disaster to dismantling Fairfield to getting dismantled by Fairfield a day later. How do we respond next weekend with Ryder on tap? Who who knows? Uh, but we're going to take a closer look at that with Kyle Franco, the writer, beat writer from the Trentonian. It's going to be an erratic season, everybody. Let's face it. Uh, and for the Mac on the on the whole, I'm going to get on this a bit more later. But first, it's Iona Iota's time. Iona Iotas. I'm going to roll two IOTAs from last week into one this week. A reminder that Iona's non-conference schedule is not over, and the Gales host Coppin State December 23rd. And to that end, get your cardboard cutout orders in, people. Go to icgales.com for the details. Iona IOTAs. It's the holiday season, and I'm in the mood for giving. Check out my Twitter for details on how you can win an Iona Gales face mask. Uh, hey, it's still COVID, people. You still need your mask. Check it out. So my listeners are pretty sharp people, and it was called to my attention that I have not done any of the Mac Tide reports that I promised uh, to do during the season uh, uh, over the summer and early fall. So fine, you want it, you got it, the Mac Tide report. Rising this week is Saint Peter's, all alone in first place in the MAC after being the only team to sweep its opponent this weekend, just past weekend. Uh, despite their early last-minute loss to Saint John's, the Peacocks continue their amazing ability from last year of winning close games. And credit goes to Shaw there for sure, not to mention the players, of course. You know, I picked Saint Peter's to finish second in the MAC, and I have no doubt whatsoever that they're going to finish in the top two, particularly for their particularly for this knack that they have of surviving even when they're not at their best uh, like they were this past uh, Saturday uh, against Niagara in game two of their series. And following this week, speaking of that series is Niagara, who was the only team that was swept this weekend. Uh, Of course, it was by St. Peter's at at St. Peter's. or at St. Peter's current gym for the moment, I should say. Um, Niagara feels like a mid-pack team, and certainly losing two games to a team that you finish in the top two isn't a death sentence for them, but the purpose could have made some serious early noise in the Mac race with a split. Let's see how they respond next weekend, but for now, they're the team on the downward trend. As a bonus, I'm going to give a third category for this tied report, o- only this one. This is going to be the calm waters category, and this nod goes to Sienna and Mammoth, who still have not even played a basketball game yet. I mean, it's December fourteenth, the t- day of this recording, and they haven't been on the court for a game yet. I get that it's safety first, but how horrible this is for the players, the staff, uh, the fans of those programs. Even yes, even our friends from Sienna. Uh, both teams are projected top four. So we're going to see really if there's this long delay in those projections. It certainly can't help, and I wouldn't—you know—nobody would be surprised if they got off the slow starts this year. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how the, their delay in their start affects their final position in the standings. And now, let's review last weekend's games for Fairfield. <laughs> A forty three point swing. Need I say more? Well, it's a podcast, so I'm gonna uh, we're gonna start with Friday night when Iona's three seniors of some stout defense led the Gales to a seventy to forty two dismantling of fairfield. Isaiah Ross had 30, Dylan Van Eyck at 14 and twelve, Asante Gist had thirteen and five. Uh, that they, they paced the Gales attack and the stags were held to just twenty eight percent from the field. After the game, Rick Patino praised the, the the team, particularly the seniors, but he also offered a warning.
0: And I told the guys, I said, look from professional basketball. One thing I can tell you, we would play the Nets on a Friday night, go across the bridge to New Jersey. We'd have a lopsided win at home and get our butts kicked the next night. So it's very, very difficult to play an opponent twice. Now we'll go home tonight, uh, we'll, we'll bust home. We're not gonna stay over. We'll come back tomorrow, but it'll be a totally different game tomorrow. I, I can tell you from 40 years of experience. This will not be a lopsided game tomorrow. It'll be a flat out war.
1: Boy, did Patino nail that. Just one day later, the tables turned as Fairfield ran away from the Gales 67-52 in a game that probably wasn't quite that close. Iona's defense was okay, allowing 43% shooting, but there was a ton of foul trouble up and down the roster, and the offense had one of those nights with 33% shooting and 17 turnovers. The only bright spot for the Gales was freshman Ryan Myers, who had 14 points on 5 of 10 shooting. Otherwise, this was a night to forget.
0: Well, this was a difficult game for us, but uh, to tell you the truth, <clears throat> Fairfield deserves all the credit. For an Owen, four or five team to play that well and that hard is a tribute to their players and their coaching staff. So they took uh, our seniors out of the game. They dominated our younger players. And so they deserve all the credit in the world. Our guys played hard, but they were just outmanned and outmatched by a, a gritty Fairfield team tonight. You know, it's it's... Look, I've said it all along. We're coming off a 12-17 and team, and we lost a lot of talent off that 12-17 and team. We brought in a lot of young players. And if our seniors don't play well, it's going to be a difficult night. But they didn't play well tonight because the other team took them out of the game. It's it's going to be difficult. Uh, What I told my team is professional stories. You know, when you play, you beat Boston at home, you go to Boston the next night, you get your ass handed to you play the Nets, you beat them at home, go to New Jersey, get your ass handed to you. It's very, very difficult to play the same team back to back and come away with two victories. Now, if you have a great team, you can do it. We're not a great basketball team.
1: Bettino also reported some sobering news uh, regarding the health of a couple of Iona centers in response to Journal News beat writer Josh Thompson's queries on the matter.
0: So we're also shorthanded right now. We just lost another player to a season-ending injury center. Our freshman center wasn't playing well. We had nobody to put in for him tonight. So it was, it's difficult. We're down to like seven players who can play right now, ready to play right now. And we have a really good seven-foot center that's been out five weeks now with no end in sight of him coming back. Rick, is it an ACL injury for Rob? We think so. Um, He hasn't been fully evaluated yet we've got to, because of COVID, you can't get answers right away. It's going, we'll hopefully, uh, get him in to see the doctor on Monday. Well, you think it's season ending? I do. Yeah. Okay. And the last thing is, um, uh, Osborne I know has been out. You said you thought he might be out another month. I think it was last week. You said that any chance he could play against Ryder? Oh, no, No. uh, he hasn't, he hasn't touched the ball. He can't even walk. He's, um, he's barely being able to walk. He's, He's got basically what he has. He has a fracture in the groin. So there's a piece missing in the groin. So it's very, very painful. We've got to get him some injections to help it heal. But I, I'm saying another, maybe by February 1, he'll be back. And uh, that really hurt us because tonight, uh, w- one of our players didn't have a really good game and we needed to put somebody in for him and we had nobody to put in for him. We got an early foul trouble. Um, and with Dylan, so we were, we were a lost cause there for a while with some of the people that we had in the game.
1: So Iona gets the one on one split, and that was the common theme in the first weekend of the MAC, save for the aforementioned St. Peter's sweep. I posted on the MAC board earlier in the day that on Friday, uh, on, on Friday before the games last week, uh, would anyone be surprised to see an eight way tie for first in the MAC with everyone at one on one? We almost got that if it wasn't for some good late play by St. Peter's in their game against Niagara past Saturday night. And I think this is a theme we're going to see all season, given the psychological challenges that back-to-back games present. Um, I, it's just so tough to beat somebody twice we, in a row. We know that. and Certainly, if one team is far better than the other, we're going to see it. In the MAC, though, is really anybody that much better than anybody else? I don't think so. That doesn't mean that every series is going to go one-on-one, one, but I think it's going to be a common theme for sure. And here's what Patino had to say about it.
0: It's, it's very, very difficult to do what we're doing, all the teams, to play back-to-back games. The Big Edge, the second night, goes to the team that lost. They'll make all the changes. I believe that because we won, we gotta make a lot of changes. The other thing is when you play back-to-back, we were, the other night, we pressed for, well, most of the games we played, we pressed for 40 minutes. Tonight, we pressed maybe three times the entire night because we realized it's a back-to-back game.
1: And that's where we are. And now it's time to look ahead to Ryder. Like Iona, Ryder overhauled its roster for this season. And like Iona, Ryder's been quite erratic. The Bronx started their season losing by 35 at Syracuse. Then turned around and lost a three point game at St. John's. Ryder then took a part, just took apart Manhattan Friday night by 18, and then turned around and lost by 10 to the Jasper Saturday night. So, like Iona, very, very uneven so far. Seriously, if anyone bets on Friday night's game or gulls on what the spread is, you're just freaking drunk. As you learn from listening to my Mac preview episode, right, people? Ryder was hit hard by the transfer bug and returned very little little from last year's team. So not surprisingly, they're relying on some newcomers uh, this year. And those guys have not disappointed, particularly junior guard Dwight Murray, a transfer from incarnate word. Uh, The six foot Murray is putting up all Mac first team numbers right now. It's great. Uh, He's averaging 18 points, eight rebounds and six assists per game. Christian Ings, a sophomore guard who was more of a six man last year, now chips in at 12.7 points per game. And Rodney Henderson, a 6'5 guard and grad transfer from Cal State Northridge, has emerged as the team's three-point specialist, hitting on 12 of 24 attempts from downtown and route to a 12 points-per-game average. Uh, Alan Powell a sophomore guard who saw limited action last year. Uh, he's averaging nine points-per-game this year. Um, 6'10 freshman, uh, sorry, redshirt sophomore, uh, Tyrell Bladen, has been the riders' most uh, effective uh, uh, big man uh, so far, uh, he's averaging seven points and six boards per game, but the rest of their front court has not really produced that much. And this is very much a guard-oriented team, uh, and they will go with mainly a three-guard look. Uh, Ryder's strength is, as I've kind of noted, as you can figure, is probably the, uh, uh, the three-point shot, as the Bronx have hit on thirty-nine percent of them as a team. And again, that's with two uh, big-name schools on their on their on their schedule, so I don't, so they've been tested. Uh, their weakness is defense; they they're allowing eighty points per game. Uh, and opponents are shooting better than forty-seven percent from the field. Okay, let's welcome in Kyle Franco from the Trentonian. He's been there ten years covering uh, Ryder now, and it's and I've actually been following him on Twitter for quite some time, and it's been fun following him and keeping up with the Bronx through him. Uh, 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 Kyle, welcome to the podcast.
2: Cool, thanks for thanks for having me. Anytime uh, anybody wants to talk Mac hoops, I'm I'm always down to jump on and <laughs> and have a conversation. It's one of my favorite things to do.
1: Oh, indeed. And that's why I started this podcast. And, you know, this is a fan podcast, but I, I love having people on such as yourself who've been with their programs for so long and know them so in depth that uh, we can really get into them here, especially with Iona and Ryder taking each other on this weekend. Um, so I want to start off uh, with the off season for starters. Uh, you know, I've talked about in, d- in different episodes of this podcast about uh, how tran- the transfer epidemic, for lack of a better term, is just just killed the mac this past year and you know some teams like quinnipiac and rider really were at the brunt of it in terms of losing key players so can you talk about a little bit about um how that affected rider I, mean, I mean you've talked to kevin Baggett quite a bit and you know how that affected him and how it changed their recruiting and you know again filling filling an entire roster basically with all the guys who were seniors that left and then the transfers that left on top of that
2: sure And you you hit the nail on the head there in in saying how Ryder's been affected by it because you had 12 new guys coming into the program this year. You had four guys graduate. You had two guys grad transfer out. You had two guys who were non-grad transfers um, who also transferred. And then you also had one open scholarship to to begin with that you were working with. So, you know, you have a situation where you're just going to have a total roster overhaul. Um, uh, You know, obviously the two big ones are uh, Demencio Vaughn goes to Ole Miss, uh, and Frederick Scott goes to Boston college and um, the, the stat was Ryder lost 87% of its offense from that team last year that went 18 and 12. The only team that lost more of its scoring production was Kentucky. So you can kind of think about it in that context And Kentucky, certainly with all the one and dones. Um, but then that leaves you just in a situation where you're going to bring in a bunch of new guys. And it's, it's like, how do you go about filling up your roster? And, and I know, you know, when Kevin looked at it, the first thing is you're obviously you're disappointed that some of those guys leave and, and transfer out um, because you you invest a lot of, um, you know, a lot of time in trying to develop those guys. Uh, and obviously you would have, you know, with the ex- with the year of eligibility they had left in, in terms of Domencio and, and Freddie Scott, you would have liked to see them maybe get a chance to, to finish it at Ryder, but this is also the nature of the business. I think all the coaches understand it. We, as the media understand it, uh, you know, everybody as the fans out there understand it, that that this is part of the college basketball world now is that guys are going to transfer, um, you know, in and out of programs. And, and the thing with the grad transfer rules, and obviously this year is all kind of messy anyway with the NCAA granting a lot of waivers and stuff. But with the grad transfer rule is I, I don't have a problem with a guy Going out and after he graduates from his initial school, um, you know, being rewarded for that and a chance to transfer up as a grad transfer. I, I, so as much as you would like to maybe see those guys stick it out and 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 try and you know finish at Ryder I also understand why guys do that. You have this opportunity to step up in competition, step up to a higher league, uh, and test yourself. And I don't fault a guy who wants to do that. Um, and now obviously in Ryder's case, they had to go out and fill that out. And, and how do you do that? Well. You bring in some freshmen, you go the you, you grab a couple of Juco guys, and then you cu- get a couple division one transfers to come in. And um, uh, a lot of it was uh, uh, unknown with Ryder this year. Um, and I think we've seen that. Um, I, I do think they have some talent there. And we've seen that through the first four games this season.
1: Well, it's funny. I- Iona and Ryder, are very similar boat in terms of, uh, number of players being added to the roster this year and just a lot of unknowns. Um, of course, everybody jumped on Iona's bandwagon because of Patino, but everybody was kind of like, well, Ryder's going to finish 11th now. You, know, you can see all those guys leaving. And one thing I've noticed during uh, Kevin's tenure at Ryder is that Ryder never really bottomed out. Um, so I didn't pick Ryder that low and uh, now I'm patting myself on the back. I think I had him like seventh or something or maybe eighth. Um, but a lot of people pick them like 11th and it's clear. They're not going to finish 11th. Uh, they, they have more than that. You can see it. Um, but what comes with all those new players is erratic play. We're definitely seeing it here at Iona. And I think Ryder's seen it as well. You know, that, you know, you open up the season losing by 35 at Syracuse next time out, you almost beat St. John's. (laughs) And then you play two uneven games against Manhattan, much to I haven't played two uneven games against Fairfield. Um, So I guess this wasn't unexpected from your, your take, right?
2: No. And and a lot of this has to do with the way you prepared for this season. And, and Kevin Baggett has talked about this with me as well, is remember, usually when you have all these new guys, they would all be in on campus during the summer. So you would have them enroll, enrolled in a summer session. They would all be living on campus, and that's when they would be able to get together uh, and play pickup. That's when they would go into the weight room and do their summer programs. And you didn't get any of this that this year because of the pandemic. So everybody is kind of showing up on campus at the same time, and now all of a sudden you're behind, so you've got to get the guys into the weight room. You've got to get them on the floor to the get together, so they actually get a chance to to meet each other, right, and figure out, um, you, you know, how they how they fit together. Uh, so I think that had a lot to do with the erratic play as, as well. And then and then you said it right. They they come out and they looked looked awful against Syracuse, and then they come back two days later and they really and they really should have beat St. John's. They just couldn't get it over the finish line. Uh, and then the two games against Manhattan, you win the first game by 18. And then you turn around and lose the second game by 10. And the two games were almost total opposites of each other, right? In the, in the first game, Ryder kind of took control of that game in the second half. And then in the second game, Manhattan took control of that game in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I actually thought Ryder, fourth game in seven days, uh, you know, when they finished up the second of the back-to-back. I thought maybe they looked a little tired in that second half against Manhattan. They certainly didn't defend well. And, and I think that's something too, when you talk about erratic play with these young teams with newcomers is that the, the defense is not going to be there every night because as you know, the defensive concepts in college are so much more complex and complicated than they are in high school. Um, so, so, or, or junior college. So you're trying to, to teach these guys. And I think that's the, the hardest concept to, to get down is, is how do we defend as a team together? And sometimes that has come and gone for Ryder this year.
1: Well, I want you to talk to me a little bit about some of these new players that Ryder's uh, relying on, as well as some of the returning players. Um, you can start with Murray, who was putting up all Mac first-team numbers right now.
2: Yeah, just terrific. And and that's one of those things, too, when you talk about a team being picked pick last. Well, a lot of that is just nobody has seen these guys play, right? I mean, I don't I don't know how many Mac coaches were watching incarnate word in the Southland conference play last year. And then all of a sudden Dwight Murray shows up and he, and he looks like an all conference guard through the first four games. But look, he's, he's a guy, he's tough, man. He's tough. That's the first thing anybody said to me is they walked in first day of practice. Like, like this kid's got leadership qualities. Um, He's a guy who's going to dig in. He's a guy who's going to going to get on the other guys when they're not doing things the right way. Um, and and that's certainly shown he's playing 38 minutes a night to start the year. I am a little worried about wearing him down if he's going to have to go 38 minutes a night. Um, but he's clearly sort of taken that, that role as, as the lead guard, the guy who wants the ball in his hands, the guy who's going to control the pace and, and tempo um, for, for what this team is going to do. And, and that was just something that I just don't think a lot of people knew about. Um, at at the beginning of the year. And and one of the interesting things, too, I'll tell you with Murray is they weren't sure if he was going to get the waiver from the NCAA when he transferred in from Incarnate Word. So their big thing was – and, again, this was before the NCAA then came out and said, hey, we're just going to give everybody uh, in the winter an extra year of eligibility. But they were looking at it like, well, do we want to burn this kid's year on a season that is going to be so disjointed as this? Um, you know, and some of that too, was that they also expected to have a freshman guard by the name of Corey McKeithen, who is very highly rated, but he tore his ACL in the summer. So now you're down an extra ball handler. So I think once that happened and and once the NCAA said, okay, guys can get the extra year back. And then they grant the waiver for Murray. It was a no brainer. Um, you you know, he had to play this year. And I think if you've watched any of their first four games, um, you know, he's been electric for him and he's been their best player.
1: So earlier in, uh, before, uh, in the podcast, I did my own preview of Ryder. I've, I've seen them play a little bit, um, but basically I was just looking at some stats and it seems like their guard play has been very good. Um, not getting as much in terms of contributions from the front court guys, at least on the scoreboard. Um, tell me what you think about uh, you know, how Ryder's kind of. Change their approach this year a little bit, maybe, with all the newcomers. Um, and, and again, we're seeing a lot of guard heavy stats, but how is the front court doing? uh Strengths and weaknesses that you've seen so far?
2: Yeah, I think the front court's uh, a work in progress. You, you're pretty much looking at uh, Ajiri Ogamunu Johnson and tyro Bladen. Now, both those guys are returning players. Um, Ajiri was a guy who played in every game. Last season, but he was he was pretty much a guy who was brought in as a backup five to come in for a couple minutes and, and give you defense and rebounding. Bladen did not play a lot uh, last season, and that's I think that's a change for them because if you look back through through Rider's history, and I, I mean I just go back to from the time I've covered them, they've always had a guy whether it was Matt Lopez way back, Khalil Thomas, um, or Tyre Marshall who just graduated. Is that they had a big guy who was skilled enough that you could throw the ball into them on the post and they could get you a basket. And they don't necessarily have that this year. So they've got to get that scoring from other places. So it's got to be, you know, Ryder always beat you up in the paint. If you looked at the numbers over the last three or four years, uh, Ryder points in the paint was a big key for them this year. They've got to get that from the guards, either getting inside to the paint um, or, or kind of getting inside and then dropping it off to, to some of the, those big guys as opposed to being able to throw it inside to them. So that's certainly been a change as well. Um, I think they've got a little bit more shooting this year. Murray um, can make threes. They've added Rocket Henderson, a grad transfer from Cal State Northridge. He's got a lot of range. He can make tough contested shots. Um, and then both of the, the, the JUCO players – uh, Trump, a who's kind of solidified his spot in the, the starting lineup. And then Jeremiah Pope as a guy off the bench who can both come in, knock down some threes, Alan Powell as well as a sophomore uh, who did not play a lot as a freshman. Uh, and he did improve over the summer. He's starting to get kind of those sixth man minutes uh, for them. So he can knock down some shots. So I think that's, that's a big difference for them is that, um, They've always they've had good guard play, but I think this time without having that interior presence that they can really throw it into, um, I think it changes a little bit in terms of they have to shoot the ball a little bit better from the outside this year than they have in, in years past.
1: Um, defensively again just based on the numbers they're they're not as as solid as they've been in some past years looks like they're allowing about 80 a game Um, teams are shooting about 47 percent from the field do you attribute that to the lack of experience in the front court as well
2: yeah and, and I think that that comes to having a bunch of new guys and having to figure out where they have to be defensively what the right rotation is and look and and some of that I think is skewed slightly because Syracuse went out and shot 15 for 30 from three in the first game of the year. Um, And when you've, you've only had four games, it's still a a small sample size. Obviously they know that you can't come out and and allow opponents to shoot 50% from the three 47% from the field. It's going to be tough to, to win if they're going to do that. But I I think a lot of that is, it's just getting guys in in the right place and, and getting them to understand Um, what your defensive concepts are uh, and and what the right rotations uh, are for these guys.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, before we uh, dive into Iona and Ryder specifically, um, I, again, you've, um, you've probably talked to uh, Kevin Bag a little bit about this, uh, about uh, an early news podcast. I have some comments from Rick Pitino about the whole concept of, you know, playing one game after the other and how it favors the team that loses the first game. Um, and it's almost like this season, you know, there's X's and O's there's talent on the court and there's coaching, but psychology seems like, it's going to play a big role this year. Um, what What is uh, Kevin Baggett had to say about the idea of the way the schedule is going to work?
2: Well, I think, you know, he said it the other night uh, after they lost the game to the, the second game to Manhattan, he goes, you look around the league and, almost all the teams that lost on the Friday night turned around and won on the Saturday, obviously St. Peter's ended up sweeping that series with Niagara. But even if you go back and look at that second game, that was a one possession game right down to the end. Niagara was on the free throw line with a chance to tie and and missed uh, the first of of two free throws. Um, So, and I think that the big thing is when you look at the, the back to backs, the onus is on the team that loses the first game to make the adjustments but I think when you lose, it's easier to see what you did wrong and where you need to change. And, I, and the one thing I thought Manhattan did in the second game against Ryder is they were more They, they – first of all, they got a longer defender on Dwight Murray, who's only six feet tall. And then Murray hit him for 20 points and 15 rebounds and seven assists in the first game. The second game he had 13 points, but I thought they came back with a longer defender and they were more physical with him uh, and tried to force him to, to give the ball up and make the other guys knock down shots. So I, I think when you lose the game, the first game, you, Rick, Rick Pitino right. You do have the advantage going into the second game because you know what you need to fix uh, in, in order to win the second game.
1: And there's also the intensity level. I mean, how do you get up to play a team that you just drilled the first game? I mean, granted, if you, I'm curious to see what happens if we get a couple of squeakers on Friday night, this time around, what happens the second day? Because we had, we had one, we had, was it four? We had at least three one-sided games uh, Friday night. Uh, Iona won big uh, St. Peter's won by what? 15 or 16. The first game Ryder won by what? 18. Um, I'm missing a game. Uh, but you know, there were all big scores. And then, to get motivated to play the same team you just drilled <laughs> the next day is also part of it, including the X's and O's part of it, but just the uh, the emotional side of it of getting up to play that team again.
2: Yeah. And your nat- I think your natural inclination is to be like, we just beat them by 18. Sure. We're going to come out tomorrow night. and We'll beat them again. And coaches know that that's not how it works. And you can tell the players that that's not how it works, uh, but that doesn't always manifest itself on the floor because it's just sort of human nature to be like, yeah, well we beat them. We beat them last night. So we'll just beat them again tonight. And it doesn't work like that. Not in this league.
1: And I'm also curious to see if we see the teams that we think are quote unquote better win that Friday night game, and then how they adjust to Saturday moving forward. I mean, everybody just assumed – you know, that, I mean, maybe not as much with with, with Ryder Manhattan because I think people kind of view those teams as a little more equal, but I, everybody just assumed Iona was just going to drill Fairfield again. And, and Patino – I mean, I, I quote from Friday night I put in the podcast. He says, tomorrow's going to be a war. And he wasn't even—he wasn't even right about that. They just killed us. <laughs> so I mean, it's so strange, and to have—and I mean, I, I just I don't think there's anybody out there that thinks Fairfield's better than Iona. Never mind, 15 points better. Um, and yet we saw that. So I'm very—it's going to be a very interesting year from that side of it. Like, who navigates that kind of stuff might be the team that you know gravitates toward the top of the standings and surprises.
2: Yeah, and, and one other thing I'll say is, can you sweep them at home? Right? If you can go and get splits on the road. Yeah. And if you can find a way to sweep your, your, your home back to backs, uh, that could also be the team that kind of establishes itself um, near the top of the league.
1: That's true. Um, and, and, and then in a certain area too, I have so much respect for St. Peter's. I mean, they, they, the one thing that they do uh, as well as anybody is win close games. And, you know, they, there they were, losing by five or six for a good part of that game and against Niagara for Saturday night. And then all of a sudden you look and they've got the edge and they're making all the plays in the final minute. And it's like, this is last year all over again. There, there's not a doubt in my mind that I actually picked uh, St. Peter's finished second to Siena uh, in my, in my Mac predictions. And there's not a doubt in my mind, they're going to finish in the top two. Now, whether Siena survives all that, you know, since they haven't even been on the court yet and, and Monmouth, and let me ask you about that since we were talking about it now. We have two teams who, uh, who haven't even played a game yet, and a third and Quinnipiac, who hasn't played a mat game yet. Um, some thoughts on those guys?
2: Yeah, it's – I mean, Siena's the team we all looked at and went, okay, Jalen Pickett's back. He's the best player in the league. They're going to be the team – you know, they're the team to beat. And I still believe that. But now it, it's getting to the point where they've had two pauses here for COVID, and they may not get on the court here till the week of, of Christmas. And, and you're just wondering, like – now they're now. What's their schedule going to look like? Because they've had to postpone the first Mac series. They're going to they postpone their second Max series, um, and, and now you, you know how does what does Enzer do here to get them the required number of league games? Like are are they going to be able to play one of these series midweek? Are they going to have to play a, like a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday? So I'll be interested to see how they come up and and, and draw that up. Uh, same thing with Mo- same thing with Monmouth, who we haven't seen yet, and and Quinnipiac. At least there's some non-conference sample with Quinnipiac, who I think is kind of a middle of the pack team. Another team that was hit hard by that the, the transfers. Their point guard Rich Kelly going to Boston College. Monmouth as well. Ray Salnave going to DePaul. Yep. Um, when we talked about that off the top of these, Matt teams just being hit hard. Uh, so uh, Monmouth, another team. I just don't know what they're going to look like until you see it on on the floor. And I'm, and, I, and I'm pretty confident in saying I feel that way about most of the teams in this league outside of I think we know what Siena is. And, and you hit St. Peter's. I just think St. Peter's is tough, man. Like every night they're going to be in you. They take on the personality of uh, uh, of their coach. Uh, they may not have a star player who's going to go out and, and hit you for 20 a night, but it could be any number of guys – uh, on that team could be their night. And then they're just going to get down and they're going to defend and they're going to rebound and just make life totally difficult for you.
1: Mm. Um, is there a team that most p- projected to be, say in the bottom half of the league, for lack of a better definition that you can see maybe surprising and maybe finishing in the top half?
2: I, I mean, it's easy for me to say Rider uh, because they were picked 11th. And I think if you've watched them clearly, they're not the worst team in the league. Uh, other than that, you know, I think Manhattan is better than what they were last year. Um, you know, they haven't had a winning season since they won those back to back MAC titles. Um, but I think Anthony Nelson, Ant Nelson, the, the Seton Hall transfer, is going to be a huge difference maker in this league. He's six foot four, left handed. He's kind of lanky, but he can get to his spots. He can go by guys. He can shoot the three. And he gives something. He, he, Gives that team something it's been missing for years, and that's a that's a go-to scorer who can get you a bucket, well, you know, when he has to. They scored eighty points the the other night in the second game against Ryder, and that was something like Manhattan hasn't been touching eighty points in a game for for a few years now. So I think they were finished, picked to finish fifth. I think they, they have an opportunity uh, to to finish higher.
1: Yeah, and and it's and you know. I've been asked a few times, so what's the deal with Iona? And I really don't have an answer. I don't think Patino has an answer. I just think it's too early to say. I mean, and now there's front court injuries for Iona. We can talk about Iona and Ryder a bit here now. Um, I'm not sure how much of this you're aware of, uh, but Iona lost uh, center Robert Brown to a knee injury. And I think he's probably out for the year. Um, and seven-one center Osborne Chima, who hasn't even been with the team yet, um, Patino said he may not be there until February because of an injury. So all of a sudden, we only have one real true center on the roster. And Nelly Junior. Joseph, who's played well, but he's, you know, he's foul prone and he's young. Um, and so I own all of a sudden size was going to be their advantage this year, and they just lost a lot of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that because the other night Dylan Van Eyck was playing center uh, when when Nelly went out with foul trouble. So um, Good news is in the Mac, I think there is a limit in how many really good big men there are. Um, so I, I don't think it's gonna be awful for them, but it shows there's there's a lot of vulnerability there. Um, does Ryder have the personnel up front to take advantage of that?
2: Probably not. Um, like you you said it that you can get away in the Mac with playing with your tallest guy being six six foot eight this season. I no, I don't think Ryder does because uh, a Jerry Ogamuno Johnson's not really a guy you throw the ball into. Uh, uh on the post and he makes a move and goes to the basket. They, The, the Bronx have actually got really good minutes out of Tyrell Bladen this year. Um, you know, but again, he's a guy who's still raw offensively. He's more of a, a, a hustle and grit and he's going to get on the, on the boards, rebounds, uh, block shots, give you some defense, but they're not necessarily the most skilled guys in, in terms of, Hey, we're going to th- like if Ryder had tire Marshall this year, I would say, yeah, that's, that's a huge, Bonus for them. They're going to, they can throw it inside against, you know, Iona's, you know, younger, smaller guys, Um, but they don't have that this year. So they're, they're very much more perimeter oriented. So I I don't think that's an advantage for them. Um, I think Iona will be able to survive not having that front court depth against Ryder.
1: Hmm. And how about, um, on, let's talk about, um, Iona's guards. Um, you know, Isaiah Ross has been really solid this year, but he's been taken out of a couple of games by good defensive guards on the other side. And, you know, like Fairfield made some adjustments to just deny him the ball. They, uh, Ross is still learning how to move without the ball and get himself to be available. Um, does Ryder have the personnel at guard to on defense to take, to take Isaiah Ross out of the game?
2: That's a good question. Um, uh, because, they didn't do a good job against Ant Nelson in the second game against Manhattan. And, and he's a lefty just like um, Ross. Now, El- now Nelson, I think, is a little more ball dominant in terms of he plays more of a point guard. Mm-hmm. Ross is more of an off the ball guy who, who they'll try and run off screens to get him the ball. But that's going to be a challenge for them because I think Iona's I two best players, obviously, are Asante Guest and Isaiah Ross. They're a terrific backcourt when they're on. And if you looked at, and you know this, when you look at the two games Iona has won, Isaiah Ross has scored 30 or more points. He's gone off. Um, and the three games they've lost and throw out the Seton Hall game, because that's, that's a high major, but the, the loss to Morgan state, the loss to Fairfield, he hasn't played as well. So I think that the key defensively for Ryder is you, you have to try and deny the catch to Ross and you know, Ross made the big shot at Heinz last year yep. in the game that, that, Iona they went back and forth there down the stretch Rider missed a bunch of free throws and then Ross hit the hit the big three and, and Stevie Jordan missed the layup at the buzzer but um look he, he's got to be kind of that first guy on your scouting report you've got to try to deny him the ball um you obviously if he gets hot early you're going to be in for a long night because he's a guy who can who can get when he heats up he can carry this, this Iona team um so that's the biggest challenge who will guard him if they go man it might be Chris Ings uh you know, I, I would imagine it'll be Murray against Gist, which would be a pretty good point guard matchup. Um, and, and my guess it's probably, probably Chris Ings is the guy who draws the, the Isaiah Ross assignment.
1: I'll mm. right, flip to the other side. I mean, and you brought up Morgan state. I mean, that's, Iona's defense has generally been okay. Even in the Seton Hall game, it was okay. Um, Morgan State game was the was the variable where the head guys hitting fadeaway threes and it was just a wild. Everything went wrong. But the one constant also with Iona's defense, which has been pretty good, is they've been committing a whole lot of fouls. I have to think, especially again with Iona not as deep in the front court that Ryder might try to pound it inside or might try to penetrate and not, even though the Ryder shoots threes, they might try to get to the basket early to maybe draw some fouls. I, I own his bigs. Do you think that's a possibility or do you think they're going to do what they do?
2: No, I, I think that is a possibility. Uh, Riders actually shot free throws better this season than they have in, in the past, which is cert, which is certainly a good sign. And they got to the line a lot in the, in the first game, uh, against Manhattan, which was certainly a key in helping them I- extend the lead. Uh, I, I think, I mean, and you see Iona all the time. I'm sure that some of that has to do with the different kind of style Iona is playing defensively, um, you know, and what Rick Patino has brought in. Because for, for all that Tim Kluse did, and, and by no means is this like a criticism of Tim Kluse, he, he won every single year, he won the MAC championship, you know, what was it, four or five times, four years in a row. Like, but the style of defense is different. And, and Kluse had a system where he recruited guys that fit that system, and they executed it perfectly. But I don't think on a night-to-night basis, they were the greatest defensive team in the league. Now, I thought under Cluse when they had to play defense, they did. But uh, I think Patino is going to ask them to grind it more on defense night in, night out. And that, and that goes back to our thing with having all these new guys and having freshmen in, in these positions, is that they've got to learn how to play defense at this level. And that's going to be an adjustment. And And in that period, they may foul a lot early on. But I think if they can kind of get, get the hang of it and learn how to defend without without fouling, Iona becomes a very good defensive team.
1: And and one little edge that Ryder might have here is they just played Manhattan, which which of course has Maziello, a Petino disciple, running a very similar defensive system where it's it's, you know, set up to you know, turn you over and make the deflections. And those are the kind of numbers that Patino's defenses want to do. So there's going to be some similarity in their scouting report, which might be interesting to see how Ryder handles it, especially since Ryder handled it so well the first night, um, how they approach that. Um, The other thing that'll be interesting to see is that both Iona and Ryder um, were ready the first night and not so ready the second. So are we going to see a world war <laughs> Friday night? And then maybe a, a sluggish, not as well played game Saturday night could be. Um, I feel like we're looking at another one-in-one kind of weekend here. And I feel like you agree with that.
2: Yeah, I do. I, I think we are kind of looking at another one-in-one weekend. And that's, that's the big question though, is, is, is Ryder at, at home? And look, I know it's different without any fans here, but Ryder was 32 and five at home over the last three seasons. So they've been a very good team there. Um, it's obviously different without fans, but are, are they fired up? Are they, are, they come, are they come out on fire? Are, you know how do, are they sluggish in the first night? It's like there's so much unknown. there's still so much information we need to figure out about these back to backs. Um, but, but you're right when you look at the way both these teams played in, in last weekend, great on the first night, not so good the second night. And I just—I wonder, will it be like that? Will we get two close games tonight? That are uh, two close games that are possession games. It's just—it's just so much information we we still have to get. But but I do agree with you. I I think we're going to be looking at another split this weekend.
1: And back to our earlier theme about that too. It's the other game, the other double headers that are scheduled: Fairfield at Niagara, Marist at Manhattan. We know Canisius St. Sienna has been postponed. Um, St. Peter's at Monmouth uh, and Iona at Ryder. Um, so those look like a bunch of one in one weekends. They,
2: they do. I'm looking forward to that St. Peter's at Bombas series, to yeah. be honest. Um, cause obviously St. Peter's came out and sweat Niagara in, in the two games. And then, um, you know, I think mom is a team that has been pretty good, um, over the last handful of years in the Mac um, you know what are they going to look like in their first two two games against a team that has been able to play? I think Saint Peter's has played six games now uh, and is already two and zero in the league. That to me, that's that's the one series that I'm I've also got my eye on this weekend.
1: Well, I think we are all set and pumped for basketball. I think we're ha- just happy that we have basketball at this point, uh, given the way the world has gone uh, the past uh, nine months or so. Um, so I'm really happy that you were able to join us and uh, talk, talk some hoops with us. Um, love you to come back on again the next time I own a ride ready to lock horns. Um, let's hope we get these games in and we don't see a, a tweet in about three hours <laughs> saying that somebody's going on lockdown. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I, again, I appreciate you coming on and looking forward to seeing your coverage.
2: Yep. Fingers, fingers crossed that we can get through this entire max season. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, I'll see everybody down in, down in AC and, and thanks for having me, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm always happy to come on and, and, and talk to my coops and, and appreciate, um, you know, all the, all the things you say about, about this league, because it really is a, a fun and wonderful league when you get to know it. And, and, um, you know, I'm just happy to, to, you know, be a part of
1: it. Awesome. All right. Well, we're looking forward to your continued great coverage from you and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks again to Kyle Franco from the Trentonian for coming on this episode to Help Us Preview, this weekend's Iona Rider Doubleheader. What are we in for this time out? Who the hell knows? Strap in. It's going to be interesting. In the meantime, stay healthy, mask up,
0: and go Gales. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com and its publisher, Guy Filotico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Philotico, IonaHoops.com and any future guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona College Athletics or the college itself. Thank you for supporting ionahoops.com.